Hey, I'm Kate Otten, tight end at the University of Washington, and you're listening to the Circling Seattle Sports Podcast. Hello there, everybody, and welcome back to the Circling Seattle Sports Podcast. This is the 147th episode of the show, and I said it today on the Circling Seattle Sports um, episode on Converge. Um, I've, I've talked about it in like the last few months about how, oh, it's crazy. Things have been crazy, you know comparing weeks saying ones are calmer or something i don't think things are ever going to get too calmer on here so well especially not when you cover seven pro teams let alone the additional nine uw teams so with that being said we will jump right into it here with our seattle seahawks news not too much going on over in the seahawks aspect of things um as we're building up to the nfl draft here uh just looking at the mock first round picks again uh both bill and i continued with our um offensive tackle direction in that regard. I mean, it doesn't really seem, I broke it down this way. The three areas of concern that a lot of uh, analysts and, and media have been pegging Seattle for are quarterback, offensive tackle, and cornerback. I don't really see a quarterback being selected simply because of the fact that Seattle has really seemed to be dug in with Drew Locke. A lot of comments in that regard sort of stating their reaffirm uh, their affirmation in regards to Locke, um, you know, and then bringing back Geno Smith in that regard. I mean, it just it's, it kind of seems like it's going to be those two to battle it out. Um, and then at the, the cornerback position, um, I mean, you sign, let's, let's look at the, I didn't really get the chance to do this uh, on the show today, but if we look at the, Seattle Seahawks roster at the moment. I know they signed Artie Burns in the offseason, re-signed Sidney Jones. You've got Trey Brown uh, back in the wings, you know, at the cornerback spot. Um, just from what I understand and what I remembered, it did not really seem like Seattle was going to go cornerback. Okay, so Trey Brown, Artie Burns, uh, Justin, Col- yeah, you signed Justin Coleman as well. Uh, Sidney Jones, got John Reed there. So, yeah, Trey Brown, Artie Burns, Justin Coleman, Sidney Jones. Um, it just didn't make sense t- for me to sign those guys and have who you have on the roster and then draft a guy with the number nine overall pick. And, and again, this is also something that you have to consider that I don't entirely believe that Seattle will necessarily keep this number nine overall pick. So it's something to... <sighs> This is almost like a giant, oh, if they keep the pick, right? Um, I had Ritter as a surprise pick if we're going to go with quarterback. I, you know, I know that Seattle, that's the two things that I identified as Seattle. Um, almost seems like any, if there's any constant with Seattle in the NFL draft, it's that there will be almost certainly a trade out of their original pick that's highest, and there will be a surprise. And so I think if we're going to stick with it, number nine, why not? Let's say, fuck it. Uh, have the Seahawks pick Desmond Ritter at number nine. Um, so that's that's a potential surprise pick. But I went with I stuck with offensive tackle Evan Neal out of Alabama, and and Bell went with Charles Cross out of uh, I believe it's Mississippi State. So you know sticking with that, um, and we'll, we'll we'll see how that goes here when the draft takes place on the twenty eighth. But I'm not entirely sure you know that this will uh, be anything too crazy i mean i don't think seattle's gonna do anything that outlandish but i also don't believe necessarily that they'll stick with that number nine overall place uh in the first round um 
heading over to April 22nd. DK uh, is reportedly tuned in in regards to a con- his contract situation. Head coach Pete Carroll said that he's really tuned in. He's shown a really good mentality about the return in regards to DK's attitude at voluntary workouts with his contract looming. I don't really think that's much to look into. Uh, DK has stated that he wants to be a leader on this team with Bobby Wagner and Russell Wilson gone. And, you know, one way to do that is not really worrying about your contact contract situation when you're around some of the younger guys, when you're around guys that you um, want to set an example for. So um, that's, that's what I, uh, how I feel about that situation. Um, Heading over to league news here. uh, There's a good amount of things Um, down in Santa Clara. There's Debo Samuel drama. Uh, on the 19th, Samuel Halt's deal uh, with the 49ers. San Francisco was ready to sign their star wide receiver, but Debo put a halt on everything for the moment. On the 20th, Samuel asked the teams uh, asked teams to trade him. Um, oh, the team to trade him, sorry. And he won't cite specific reasons. The 49ers want a huge haul for Samuel. The belief is that he won't be traded unless they get a King's ransom. Samuel does not want to play a wide receiver slash running back role. The star Wide receiver does not want to continue to play a hybrid role, and uh, that is one potential reason he requested a trade. That's something I, I wanted to put a pin in. I am wondering how much of that is true because if you look at it in that hybrid sense, you could, if you're Debo, you could argue for more money, right? Hey, you play me in a multitude of roles. You use me as a sort of Swiss army knife. I would like that sort of money, but also I figure in the league that is something that doesn't necessarily happen. Sometimes players like that, that play a multitude of roles get valued almost less. So uh, that, that was a really interesting thing to hear. And then I know uh, 49ers general manager, John Lynch today um, on the 25th said that, um, What did he say? He said, you don't let guys like that walk, and they certainly don't see. He says he didn't see them doing that. So I'm really interested to see how that progresses, if we see anything by the draft, if all, at, if at all. So uh, it'll be interesting to keep an eye on that. On the 21st, it was announced that the NFL will drop the league schedule on May 12th. Select additional games will be announced in the days and weeks leading up to a full release. Also on the 21st, the Cardinals are reportedly not interested in trading Kyler Murray. General Manager Steve Kime denies any report that the team will trade their quarterback. And also, Deshaun Jackson may retire, as stated on the 21st. Jackson stated he's not really sure about playing next season, but is open to playing for Kansas City, Green Bay, Cleveland, or Denver. On the 22nd, Earl Thomas stated that he wants to return. The former Seahawk and seven-time Pro Bowler plus Super Bowl champ hopes to resume his career at the age of 33. The NFL will play three Christmas games. The league will expand Christmas slate to three games this year for the first time in order to combat the NBA's Christmas screaming, Christmas schedule. Um, and also on the 22nd, Steve Young stated that he want, uh, we need to be better. The 49ers legendary quarterback wants an improved environment for NFL players to discuss mental health after learning that former teammate Greg Clark had CTE. On the 25th, the Panthers reportedly do not want Mayfield. Carolina is not expected to trade for the Browns quarterback prior to the first night of the draft, if at all, despite reports uh, coming from the last week. Amazon wants a Black Friday game. Amazon reportedly wants the NFL to schedule a game on the day after Thanksgiving for its streaming platform. So 
that was also something that I was kind of confused about. You know, you already have usually three games on Thanksgiving, one in the morning, one around the midday, and then one at night. And so now, in addition to that, the NFL has three games on Christmas. So three games Christmas, three games Thanksgiving, and now a Black Friday game. I just think that's a little bit ridiculous. Um, And I don't see the point, really. I mean, it's a Friday game. Even when we've had that because of COVID, it was really weird. Um, Yeah, it's just a little bit ridiculous. Um, Yeah, I'm not really sure what the whole idea behind that is. So um, looking ahead, it's just the draft for the Seahawks here starting on the 28th and then lasting through the 30th. That will be really interesting to see what Seattle comes away with, what sort of moves are made, because I'm, if I'm a betting man, I'm betting that something is made. Um, and ultimately, again, who Seattle comes away with. Heading over to our Seattle Mariners here, over the past week, paid, continued their homestand, uh, playing a series against the Rangers and a series against the Royals. April 19th versus the Texas Rangers, a 6-2 win. Player of the game, third baseman, Eugenio Suarez, going one for four with one run and three RBIs. On the 20th versus the Rangers, a 4-2 win, securing the series win against the Rangers there. Player of the game, pitcher Logan Gilbert, going 6.2 innings, uh, was allowing only six hits, zero runs, zero of them earned, obviously. Um, Zero walks and four strikeouts on the 21st versus the Rangers in that series, unfortunately, with a loss, an 8-6 loss. Uh, player of the game, first up, J.P. Crawford going one for four with one run, three RBIs, and a walk on the 22nd in the series opener against the Royals, a four-to-one win. Player of the game, center fielder, Julio Rodriguez going two for four with a run and two RBIs. April 23rd versus the Royals, a 13-to-7 win, securing the series win there. Player of the game, first baseman, Ty France, and we'll get to Ty in a minute. Don't worry about that. Um Ty going five for six with three runs and five RBIs. His first five hit game of his career and his first uh, five RBI game of his career as well. And then April 24th versus the Royals, um, a five to four win in 12 innings play of the game. First baseman, once again, Ty France going three for five uh, with two RBIs and a walk. So um, it was a really good homestand. I mean, he goes seven and two over the course of that homestand. Um, overall, I'd say you should really be happy about it. Um, I think that you kind of saw what the Mariners potential could be. Uh, obviously again, it's early in the season. There are some guys who still need to hit their stride with things, but I feel like it was a really good move in the right direction for this ball club, you know, picking up the sweep of there against KC is nice winning, two of three against the Houston Astros winning two or three against the Rangers, which would have liked to win every game against Texas, but that's whatever. Um, so overall, I would say a, a really positive series for Seattle. So we get over to player of the week. And I th- think that it was more than obvious. It was Ty France, you know, in the last seven days and six games, uh, 26 at bats, seven runs, 13 hits, one double, three homers, uh, 10 RBIs, two walks oh it doesn't show me the rest that's annoying let's see if i can go to splits Mm-mm-mm. aha okay two walks was hit by a pitch once um if you know ty you know why that's kind of funny a 500 batting average a 552 on base percentage a 885 slugging percentage and a 1.436 on base plus slugging so overall just a really um 
just a monster offensively is all I can say in that regard. And uh, every day it seems like that Padres trade uh, looks better every day, honestly. Um, as we head over here to injury-related news on the 19th, Luis Terence was placed on the injured list on the 20th. Paul Seawald was placed on the injured list with COVID. Manager Scott Servers and coach Manny Acta were also placed on that COVID list. Um, Christopher Negron was named the acting manager. If you don't know, Negron was actually the manager of the Tacoma Rainiers last year in AAA. On the 21st, it was announced that Terence was activated from the IL. Uh, and now we move over to team news. The only real team news um, is mostly the corresponding moves to these guys being put on the injured list. On the 19th, fourth baseman Mike Ford was selected from AAA Tacoma as a corresponding move to Terence being placed on IL. On the 20th, Penn Murphy, right-handed pitcher, was selected from AAA Tacoma as a corresponding move to Paul Seawald being placed on the COVID IL. On the 23rd, the team acquired outfielder Stuart Fairchild from Arizona, uh, the Diamondback in exchange for cash considerations as a resulting move to that infielder Kevin Padlo was designated for assignment. And then on the 25th, Ty France was named the AL player of the week um, uh, do, 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 for his performance. And I don't really need to go over that as much because I read you the stats for that. Um, and also on the 25th, the corresponding move to Terence being activated from the injured list was that first baseman Mike Ford was optioned to AAA Tacoma on the 24th of the month and then DFA'd uh, designated for assignment after the 25th. So kind of a tough, tough two days for Mike Ford there. Um, but it's also really interesting to not only look at all this, say the homestand and the seven and two record over those nine games, but also considering that Mitch Hanniger was out for most of that homestand, that Luis Torrens was out, that you're, you know, without Scott Service, you're without Paul Seawald, Ken Giles is on the injured list still, Kyle Lewis is still on the injured list. So there's a lot. Um, no, I'll put it this way. There are reinforcements coming for Seattle, and there's there's it should only be a positive thing to add those guys back. So I'm really looking forward to that, and that should be quite honestly – um, I don't know, not quite honestly. It only makes things better for Seattle. So I'm really interested to see what things will be like when and or if we get a time period in the season where just about everybody's healthy. But it's baseball. There's 162, scheme, 162 games. That's highly unlikely to have everybody healthy. So um, we look over here now to league-related notes. Uh, the MLB has interest in Nashville, uh, former all-star Dave Stewart leads a group that is bidding for a Nashville club uh, that would be the first majority minority owned MLB team. Uh, Detroit Tigers legend Miguel Cabrera becomes the 33rd member of the 3000 hit club. He is the seventh player to have 3000 hits and 500 home runs joining Ty Cobb and Al Kaline outfielder. Michael Conforto is out for the year. The free agent outfielder had season ending shoulder surgery last week. He was previously identified as a potential target for the Mariners. So it's an interesting little tidbit there that um, Conforto is going to be out for the year uh, might've played into the fact um, that him having that surgery might've been something that was in the cards for teams looking at him as a free agent and potentially why Seattle may have gone the route of Jesse Winker. Uh, and then Yankees fans threw trash on the field following their win over the Cleveland Guardians. Following a walk-off win over Cleveland, fans threw trash on the field in the direction of Cleveland outfielders. Guardians outfielder Miles Straw called the Yankees fans the worst fan base on the planet. 
And I don't necessarily disagree with him. There is a multitude of things that go into that outside of just this incident, but Yankees fans, man, they don't get a good rap and for good reason. So looking ahead here, the team record now sits at 10 and six, which is good for first in the American league West at the time being uh, the Mariners will go on the road down to Florida to play the Rays and the Marlins April 26th versus 28th against the Rays April 26th and 27th. Those games are at 340 uh, Pacific time. And then April 28th at the Rays, the series ender is a 10, 10 a.m. Pacific time start. April 29th versus the Marlins is a 340 start. April 30th at the Marlins is a 310 start. And April 1st at the Marlins is a 1040 a.m. start. Heading over to our Seattle Storm here over the past week, played their first preseason game um, of the season uh, versus the LA Sparks back at Climate Pledge Arena. And I don't, I, I hate the ideology that it's the first this or that at Climate Pledge Arena. I get it. It's newly renamed and the building has been remodeled, but it's not like it's a different site. This is still where Key Arena was. So that grinds my gears a little bit. Maybe I'm kind of old for that but it's it's the same site i don't think you should be saying it's new this uh, yeah you know um so april 23rd versus the sparks an 81 to 68 win play of the game for brianna stewart stewie recording 20 points four assists and three rebounds uh super did not play obviously jewel lloyd had 15 points to start off in the first peer uh first period yeah first quarter same thing um and overall, the starters did their job, and this is without Brian January, Gabby Williams. So, again, it will be something interesting to watch, see who who ultimately fights their way onto this roster, who makes their case to be one of those select 12 um, to try and help Sue Bird win her, her final title and go into retirement on a, on a, with a piece of hardware. Piece of hardware? Piece of hardware. Um but I, I know that will be a difficult decision and there's going to be a ton of talent that will probably not make this roster. Um, and injury-related news, obviously this didn't hurt her too bad, but on the 18th of the month, Brianna Stewart was easing back into practice after undergoing minor Achilles surgery last October. Um, in team-related notes on the 21st, Amazon Prime Video becomes the official streaming service of the streaming home, The Storm. Approximately 30 Storm games will be available to Prime Video customers throughout the state of Washington. So just so you know now, and so you can use this reference information for later, if you're trying to find a Storm game, more than likely it's on Amazon Prime Video, Q13 Fox here in Seattle, or on WNBA League Pass, which WNBA League Pass is only $25 compared to other league passes like the NFL, NBA, MLB, which are upwards of $100, probably way more than $100. So get the league pass if if you prefer to not deal with Q13 Fox or Amazon Prime Video because if you're $25 and not only watch the storm, but every other game in the WNBA anyway. So I think that makes it relatively simple. But uh, what do I know? Um, so looking at the record here, I mean, it's preseason and there's only two games in the preseason, so it doesn't really matter. But the Storm are one to know their next contest, which is their final preseason game, is April 28th at the Phoenix Mercury uh, with a seven o'clock start down there in Phoenix. Um, it's, it's interesting to me to watch Phoenix as well, because you have to think at probably pretty close that Diana Taurasi uh, will be looking to wrap up her career as well. And I wonder how much of that may have played into their uh, aggressiveness 
this offseason, you know, to acquire Tina Charles and uh, just what they did as a whole. So um, interested to see how much of that plays into it. Um, traveling over to our Seattle Sounders here on the 23rd, the team traveled down to San Jose, uh, ultimately losing three to four to the earthquakes, the team that was last in the West and did not have a single win yet. And Seattle ultimately found a way to choke that out. Um, I'll start it this way. You know, I could tell you that and just go off the bare numbers, but that's not exactly the full story. The first Sounders goal of the game came on a diving tackle um, made on Raul Ruiz Diaz that really should have been a red card, probably a suspension that was uh, spikes up, spikes of his cleats up and into Raul's leg and probably could have broke the damn leg. Um, and he was only given a yellow instead of a red. You know, San Jose probably should have played with only 10 men. Um, and ironically enough, um, San Jose's uh, San Jose's final goal, that fourth goal, came on a penalty that I was told shouldn't have even been, uh, been given. So a lot of things factoring into that loss there, but play of the game, uh, midfielder Nico Ladero with one goal and two assists, so responsible or playing a part of three to the three goals that Seattle scored on one shot on target with a 79.6 pass percentage. So prior to this loss, the Sounders had won 123 straight matches in which the, in the MLS, in which they led by two plus goals at any point, dating back to June of 2009. 2009 was the year that the Sounders um, joined the MLS in their newest iteration as the Sounders. So 123 games straight that they had not blown that two goal lead at any point during a game. So now their record in that such situation sits at 128 wins, one draw, and one loss. That is historic a historic loss in that regard so heading over to injury related news uh on the 19th this is basically just yamar watch on the 19th yamar was a full participant in training on the 20th yamar was confirmed to be available for selection uh in the game against san jose he didn't get many minutes in so i'm assuming that they're planning for that return to be mostly wednesday and leg one of the final um against pumas um so you know getting your best defender back a guy that was a defender of the year finalist last year. Um, that can only be a good thing, uh, but interested to see how close he is to being full strength and what sort of impact he's able to make, you know, in the CCL final, both in leg one and leg two um, and team related notes on the 21st, the Sounders announced that they would face none other than the San Jose earthquakes in the round of 32 for the U S open cup. And interestingly enough, I think it was Jeremiah Oshan on Twitter. Um, a representative with Sounder at heart tweeted that I think Seattle's played San Jose iteration of 12 times in the U S open cup. And none of them have been at Lumen field, which is really odd. And this game will continue that track because this game is being played at Starfire sports complex which is where the Sounders hold their training and where the Seawolves play. Why? I don't, I don't know. Don't ask me. Um, in league related notes on the 21st, the MLS announced that it will keep its all-star format from last year. The August exhibition match will pitch, pitch, pit MLS all-stars against the best players from the Liga MX for the second straight year. 
So the Sounders record sits at two wins, four losses, and one draw. They sit at 11th still in the Western Conference. Looking ahead is the huge, gigantic, ginormous, mega-sized, uh, whatever words you want to use. I mean, Brian Schmetz, Brian Schmetzer called it a big fucking deal. They had a really cool advert with Marshawn Lynch where he called it a big fucking deal. It's a big deal. Uh, first leg of the CONCACAF Champions League final, April 27th at Pumas. Uh, down in Mexico City. This is a 7.30 p.m. start time. It will be on Univision here in the States um, if you want to watch that broadcast in Spanish. Um, here in the U.S., if you want to watch it in English, it's on Fox, on Fox, Fox Sports 1. Uh, CONCACAF final leg, uh, leg one of two, that first one on the road. So that's a big deal. I mean, it's really a chance for Seattle to showcase themselves on the world stage. Um and no MLS team has won the thing. So that, that would be a piece of hardware that no other team in the league would be able to brag to you about. So that that would be really cool. That is going to be really important um, to at least not royally fuck up that leg because you get to play the second one at home and maybe, you know, have some advantage there. But And, and that game should actually be pretty close to sold out now. So that is a, a big deal, not to continue to hammer that in, but it's a big deal. Heading back over to our back over, heading over to our NHL team here uh, as the Kraken get close to their final four games of the regular season, their final four games of their inaugural season. April 18th versus the Ottawa Senators, a 4-2 to win. Player of the game forward, Victor Rask, with one goal, one assist, two points, and one plus minus, and three shots on goal, playing in his 499th NHL game. April 20th versus the best in the West team, probably the best in the NHL, uh, Colorado Avalanche uh, winning that game due to, yes, a win over the best team in the Western Conference. How they did it, I don't know. Don't ask me. Well, I do know how they did it, but how they managed to conjure up the skill to do that, I don't know. Uh, scoring three game, three. Whoa. Three goals in the first period, um, three goals within 14 minutes, um, and then somehow managing to hold that for the rest of the game. Uh, player of the game, defenseman Will Borgen with one assist, one point, a one plus minus, one shot on goal, three hits, and two blocks. So Seattle finishes out their hometown pretty well, you know, with a, a win on 420 against a Colorado team on NHL Green Knight. I'll let you use your brain to infer on that. Um, but against the best team in the West, I don't know. I don't know how that happened. Um, and then heading over to Minnesota to play the Minnesota Wild on the 22nd, another playoff-bound team losing that game 3-6. to six. Play of the game forward, Jared McCann with two assists, two points, a one plus minus, and two shots on goal. Uh, so, you know, that was that was a real second-period collapse. I believe Seattle led that game going into the second period. They were up 2-1 to one and then just give up five goals, I think. And yeah, in the second, I believe it was five. It might have been four. In the second period, just very ugly, disgusting, barf, tomato. Um, and then April 23rd at the Dallas Stars, a two to three loss. Another game where Seattle led in the first period against a Dallas is a team that Dallas is a team that is fighting for their playoff lives. Um, and then another second period collapse. Player of the game forward, Yanni Gord with one goal, one point, five shots on goal, recording is 100th career goal. So congratulations there to Gordo. Um, no injury news, thankfully, outside of the fact that um, Jaden Swartz has effectively been locked out 
locked down for the season, considering that he will not play in this upcoming week and it's the last week of the season. Um, we do have some team news, though. On April 21st, a prospect check-in for defenseman Riker Evans, the 35th overall pick in last year's draft, Seattle's number two selection in that draft. Uh, Evans was named to the East Division All-Star team uh, and earned the Bill... I don't know how to say this word. I don't want to say it wrong. Bill H-I-C-K-E, Most Popular Player Award for the Regina Pats. On the 22nd, the Kraken awarded all of his efforts with a three-year entry-level deal. Uh, the Kraken signing their second draft pick. Uh, he will start his season. He, he joined the Charlotte Checkers, um, who are currently in the uh, AHL playoffs. So interesting to see how that goes up. But I imagine he'll also begin the season next year in the AHL with the Coachella Firebirds. Um, Seattle's actual AHL, because if you don't know, Seattle is splitting an AHL team and their minor league team with the Florida Panthers, considering that their team doesn't exist yet. Um Hmm. Um, so Evans set at WH, WHL career highs in 2021 to 2022 in goals with 14 assists with 47 points with 61 plus minus with plus nine and game winning goals with three. Um, so interesting there, obviously, you know, a lot of the hype has been around Maddie Beniers and for good reason, but really interested to see what Evans can bring. I know that, you know, the total haul that Seattle got in the draft last year was a little bit ridiculed, similar to their expansion draft. Um, but from what I can read and what I can garner, Evans has some pretty solid upside as a defenseman. So it'll be really interested to see what he's able to produce there. On the 25th, the team recalled goaltender Joey Decord and defenseman Dennis Chalowski. Not entirely sure about this. I'm wondering, I know on the defenseman side of things for Chalowski, um, what plays into this is that uh, Hayden Flurry and Vince Dunn were not at practice today on the 25th. Uh, so I'm wondering if Chalowski gets some action there. But with the cord, you've already got two goaltenders on the roster. Are you just going to get him a game in or is somebody actually injured? What's what's the reasoning behind this? What was the reason? Don't, <laughs> I, I'm really interested to see how that plays out. Maybe it's just spending more time with the actual... Um, NHL club getting him more time up there, but I personally could not tell you. We'll be interesting to see, uh, continue to get that information, um, as it comes to you. So the Kraken records is at 26 wins, 46 losses and six overtime losses resulting in 58 total points. Seattle sits at eighth in the Pacific division. And that will not change. Looking ahead, they take on the Vancouver Canucks on the road on the 26th with a seven o'clock puck drop. They return home to play the LA Kings on the 27th with a seven o'clock puck drop. And then April 29th versus the San Jose Sharks is the home finale, which is fan appreciation day with another seven o'clock puck drop. May 1st at the Winnipeg Jets is the team's inaugural season finale with an 11 a.m. puck drop. Heading over to our NWSL team in the OL Reign, who continue their Challenge Cup play, reaching the final uh, game of group play. April 23rd at the San Diego Wave, a very controversial one-to-one draw. Player of the game forward, Allie Watt, with one goal, three shots, two shots on goal. Her first NWSL goal as the Reign clinched the West with a draw. Um, okay, I'm going to try to explain everything that's taking place. <sighs> For the first 18 minutes of the match, CBS fucked up the stream, so we don't have 
any footage of the first 18 minutes of the match. And that's problematic. Why? Because Ali Watt scored her first NWSL goal in the 12th minute. So there's no clean footage of that. Um, then uh, San Diego's goal right before the half came on a penalty on a handball on Ali Watt that was actually not a handball. It hit her face. It hit her face. And they called it a handball. I don't know. Tell me. Face, hand. Hmm? Different. No? Hmm. Um, yeah, that was, it was just a whole mess. There was a lot of really physical contact, and the referee just had no, no discernible control over anything. Um, so that's a big fuck up. But there's another one that we have to get to in team news. And interrelated news, the match report for the 23rd was that Angelino is out with the right ankle, Ziara King out with the right ankle as well, and Megan Rapino out with the right calf. None of that is new information. Uh, just hoping that Z and Angelina can get back sooner rather than later. And obviously Megan said that she's just gearing up for the regular season anyway. So not really um, much concern there. Just hoping that again, Z and Angelina are back sooner rather than later. On the 22nd, goalkeeper Fallon Tillis Joyce earned the NWSL save of the week, earning uh, that uh, honor for her save in the 82nd minute of the match against uh, Angel City on the 27th. It is the third week in a row that Tillis Joyce has earned this honor, winning three out of four in the Challenge Cup. Um, oh, my notes just died. That's not good. We're going to reload that and hope that didn't do anything bad. Oh. Okay, come back. Hmm. Okay. Excuse me. Microsoft Word is not having fun with me right now. Come on. There we go. It's like leading a child that got lost from the the group and just run away from me. Um. Okay. Anyway, April 24th, the rain earned home field advantage for the Challenge Cup semifinals on May 4th. Now, here's the big fuck up. So May 4th, right? It would have either been at 5 o'clock or 7 o'clock. Um, due to the CONCACAF Champions League final being played by the Sounders, like two at Lumen Field at 7 o'clock, that can't happen. Um, and despite, quote-unquote, the best efforts of the club to find an alternate solution to retain a home field advantage, the semifinal would be played at Segra Field in Leesburg, Virginia, against the Washington Spirits. So it's basically a home game for Washington. Uh, if the rain won that game, they win that game. They will host the challenge cup final at Lumen field on May 11th at 10 AM, a final at 10 AM. So if you don't know, uh, pregame sort of, uh, pregame festivities begins at six in the morning. If you're a player, that's when the festivities, let alone when you have to wake up. So yeah, that's pretty horseshit as well. Um, so that uh, and and then the regular season opener for the rain, which would be on May 8th, would have to be rescheduled. So, little bit ridiculous. Um, hmm, interesting. Okay. Um, so just, just looking at some of the information that was released, um, in regards to why the semifinal has been moved to Segra Field. Starfire was researched, Starfire Field, Starfire Sports Complex, but conflicts made the venue unavailable for that match. Update, uh, the 
looking into having a doubleheader at Lumen Field on the 4th of May. That option was unavailable due to the quote-unquote high-profile nature of the CCL final and the amount of signage and setup that goes into the match. A shared match day would be logistically impossible on the, uh, again, while new piece, the club explored additional options such as moving the date or other venues in the region. Um, the rain dedicated countless hours to solving this issue, but no mutual agreeable solutions had been found with the league. That right there tells me the league was something fucked up. Why can't you just move it to the third or the fifth? Hmm. I was an- I got my answer about why it can't be a doubleheader at Lumen. That's fine, but no, no clear answer from the league. No leadership from the league. Just, just complete horseshit. And then the final, this final news piece: a neutral venue site was not discussed. So that's how we get playing in Virginia, playing against a team from the District of Columbia in Washington. Uh, and so, the, so the idea that the rain uh, secured home field advantage is just a pure myth. And I'm. I just big sigh, big sigh. So, looking ahead for our rain, they finished the Challenge Cup uh, group play stage with four wins and two draws, uh, sitting at first in the Western Division. Looking ahead, their next two games are both against Washington Spirit, both of them on the road. May 1st, the NWSL regular season opener, um, on the road at Washington, a two o'clock start against the defending MLS. MLS and WSL champions. And then May 4th at the spirit, a five o'clock start time. That is the challenge cup semifinal at Segra field. Heading over to our Seattle Seawolves here, uh, who took on the Utah warriors on April 23rd, as they continue to fight for their spot in the MLR playoffs, the MLR Western conference, a 20 to 14 win, um, gritty win. I know it's uh, an earlier part in the game. They were down 13 to 14. It's like, Hey, you're losing to a team. That is two and seven, and you need to make the playoffs. You can't really afford to lose this game. And luckily, they didn't. Uh, Player of the game, number eight, Reichert Hatting with two tries after earning an early yellow card, getting those tries in the 37th and 63rd minute. Um, so just really fortunate to have Hatting on the field, obviously. But um, really interested to see how Seattle continues this you know, going on the season, you know, obviously we looked at the game against the Warriors, but that's a game you needed to win regardless. I've I've talked to a buddy of mine. It's more than likely that you have to win every game down the stretch, except for one. Um, You can, I guess, afford to lose one. Um, So the uh, Seawolves did a six and five record. They're third in the Western conference. Now Um, they're tied for fourth with the Houston Sabercats, but let's just look at the MLR standings here in the Western Conference because we it's incredible how tight this is. Um, so first in the West is the is Austin. They have 43 points, and I doubt anybody's catching up to them. Second is LA with 33 points. Okay, Seattle is third with 31. So you said two place two points out of first, a uh, second. Pardon me, Houston. And fourth sits at 31. So you're tied with Houston. Um, and then San Diego is at fifth with 28. So San Diego is still an earshot. Um, so that, that's why it's so important that you basically have to win out. Um, and again, what, like I said, with um, the Seawolves uh, schedule getting down the road, 
um, if we look over here. So they play Austin. Their, their upcoming game is uh, May 1st at Austin with a 4 o'clock start um, in that game. But if we continue here, we continue to look down, you know, that game against Austin, and then we continue over as MLR decides to load. They played Dallas, who are way out of any hope of a doubt for a playoff spot, but you don't want to get into a trap. That's May 8th at 7 o'clock at Star, Starfire. We continue down here to May 15th, Rugby New York. Um, Rug, uh, New York is a playoff team in the East. That's May 15th at noon. We'll continue on. Against Houston on the 27th of May at 730 uh, at Starfire. Again, that's the team that's right below you right now. And then I think to finish off the season. You play LA in the final game of the MLR season, actually. This final one that takes place on the schedule June 5th at LA with a three o'clock start. So that's four of five games that you're playing against playoff teams, three of them against teams that are fighting for one of the spots that you're fighting for. So it doesn't get easier um, for the Seawolves there. So just every game is critical really for them going forward. Um, as we head over to UW, as we get closer to wrapping things up here, um, some good and some bad, really. Some good takeaway, some bad takeaway. Uh, the men's basketball team is losing forward slash guard Emmett Matthews Jr. as he has entered the transfer portal. So just a year after he, quote-unquote, returned home to play with the Huskies, he's on his way out. You know, Mike Hopkins has done s- s- some good with this program. You know, getting Noah Williams is nice. Um but there's been a lot of guys in the state who have left and you got to think, Hey, why aren't guys wanting to stay here? Why don't they want to come play for the program? And I, at some point it has to come down to coaching. Um, looking over to baseball here, uh, you baseball played the number two ranked team in the country in Oregon state in a three game slate down in Corvallis, April 22nd at Oregon state, a three to four loss in 10 innings. So they put up a nice fight there, right? They put up a nice one run loss, Fine. You lose the number two team in the country. I get that. Player of the game, first baseman, Will Simpson going one for fourth, one run, two RBIs and a walk. April 23rd at Oregon State, a eight to nothing loss. No player of the game there. You get shut out. You don't get player of the game. Bad. Slap on the wrist. April 24th at Oregon State to close out the series, a one to seven loss. Player of the game, uh, designated, uh, designated player, Kobe Wallace going one for three with one RBI. UW now on a six-game losing streak. They sit at 16 and 21, and their record at 11th in the Pac-12. Their upcoming schedule is April 26th. April 26th at Seattle U with a four o'clock start. April 29th versus Stanford at a 6:05 start. April 30th at Stanford with a 2:05 start. May 1st versus Stanford with a 1:05 start, and May 2nd at Gonzaga with a 3:35 start. Very specific there. The positive. And all of this is the softball team, which, fuck, if that's not a surprise. April 22nd at number 19th ranked Oregon, a 9 to nothing win in five innings. Player of the game, right fielder Matty Husky going three for four with run, one run and four RBIs. April 23rd at Oregon, a 9-7 to win in eight innings. Player of the game, pitcher slash first baseman and circling sales sports alum Brooke Nelson going one for three with one run and four RBIs. April 24th at Oregon, a 5 to nothing win to complete the sweep of the Ducks. 
player of the game, center fielder Jalen Alchin, a two, uh, two, two going two for three on the day with two runs and three RBIs. So contrast to UW baseball going 0 for 6 over the last six games. UW's on a six-game winning streak, and that is in conference play. And I know that I had my doubts considering that um, UW, I think, in six previous conference games went one for five. They won one game out of six against Cal and UCLA. UCLA get. uh, You would have liked to at least grab one. But to kind of switch that around is, is, is good to see against, you know, Oregon State was ranked and now Oregon was ranked as well. Good to get that out of the way. Uh, and team-related news, on the 20th, Bailey Klingler was named to the top 25 finalists for player of the year in softball uh, around Division One. One of five Pac-12 players to make the list this season as voted on by a panel of media members and coaches. April 25th, Gabby Plain was tabbed the Pac-12 Pitcher of the Week. The Australian recorded her 1,000th career strikeout and her 100th career win over the weekend. She is the third active pitcher in D1 softball to do so in regards to the career strikeout mark and the second in program history. Uh, she went 3-0 and over the past week with a zero earned run average, holding batters to a .106 average. So UW uh, on the softball side of things now sits at the 13th ranked team in the country. 28 and 11 on their record, third in the Pac 12. Their upcoming schedule is April 26 versus Yellow U at six o'clock. Then they take on Stanford for a three game uh, slate. April 29th at six o'clock. April, April, April 30th versus Stanford at two o'clock. And May 1st versus Stanford at noon. And then May 2nd versus Utah Valley with an 11 o'clock start. So, again, as I said, it doesn't really ever seem like there's going to be a slow week in these things. Um, as that is said, though, we will continue to look to bring all sort of content for you, continue to innovate, continue to be the best show covering all of these sports around the city. And with that being said, until we see you next time, do whatever it takes to make today a great day. Baba boy.